It actually is the deadliest cancer in both men and female. And I think what it boils down to is how is it detected and when is it diagnosed? This is the James Cancer-Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wurtenberg, and today my guest is Michael Wirt, a pulmonary critical care physician and the director of the James Lung Cancer Screening Clinic. Lung cancer is one of the most common and deadliest forms of cancer. According to the American Cancer Society, there will be about 230,000 new lung cancer diagnoses in the United States this year and about 136,000 deaths. So screening, early diagnoses, and new advanced treatments are the key to saving lives and what Mike is going to fill us in on. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Hey, thanks for having me, Steve. I'm uh, happy to be here and excited to chat with you. So first, before we talk about lung cancer in the screening clinic, I think it would be interesting to find out exactly what is a pulmonary critical care, care physician and, and what do you do? That's a good question. My, my parents still ask me that uh, seemingly every couple of weeks or so. So okay. uh, I it, it will break it up into two parts. So pulmonary or, or lung disease, uh, you know, I manage diseases of the lung, whether it's, you know, lung cancer, uh, asthma, emphysema, lung nodules, pneumonias. Uh, it, it's a lot of procedures involved doing lung biopsies, uh, tr treating people with inhalers, uh, that sort of thing. And then the other hat I put on is uh, critical care. So that's, you know, working up in the intensive care unit with people who are, are very, very sick with medical issues, pneumonia, heart failure, uh, infections, and now uh, definitely dealing with the COVID uh, pandemic. So uh, my time split pretty equally amongst those two two fields. Yeah, I, th I don't think people realize that, particularly here, because we talk so much about cancer, but there are so many different diseases and conditions that impact the lungs. So yes. Yeah, and so you have to know, you take them all on. The, the human body is very complicated, uh, particularly the lungs, and we're learning new stuff about it seemingly every day. Is there something in particular about the lungs that make them more susceptible to these problems because we're breathing in and out and stuff's flowing through them all the time? Yeah, that's probably what it is, and we're always in close proximity with one another, and, you know, who knows what we're inhaling on a, on a daily basis, honestly. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there. Yes, yep. So that brings us to lung cancer. And the statistics I read from the American Cancer Society is one of, if not the deadliest forms of cancer in terms of the percentage of people who, who just unfortunately don't make it. Why is that? Why is lung cancer so hard to treat? And why do so many people just have bad outcomes? Yeah, it, it actually is the deadliest uh, cancer in both men and female. Uh, and I think what it boils down to is how is it detected and when is it diagnosed? So up until just a few years ago, you know, lung cancer screening has lagged way, way behind uh, other cancers that we, that we screen for. So if you look, you know, cancers like breast cancer, cervical cancer, colon cancer, when they're diagnosed, the majority, the vast majority of people are caught their cancers are caught at a very early stage, uh, meaning that they don't have any symptoms. It's not advanced. It's very localized. And the earlier you catch those sorts of cancers, the, the more easily the more easily they can be treated. And a lot of times they can even be cured, uh, cutting the cancers out. Compare that to lung cancer, uh, the, whereas the, the vast majority of people are diagnosed 
uh, at, at late stages. So lung cancer basically gets stage, stage one being the earliest stage and stage four, uh, the most advanced or latest stage. And most people, uh, as it stands, uh, you know, aren't diagnosed until they develop symptoms, which usually means they're a late stage cancer. Uh, and once you get a diagnosis at that point, your treatment options tend to be a lot more limited. Now, when you say late stage, that means it's it's spread to other parts of the body. It, it's spread to you know, it's spread to the lymph nodes of the lungs. It's spread to areas outside of the lung, uh, and then at that point, there's you know, there's there, there are treatment options, but your the chances of surviving you know at five years are a lot lower than if you diagnose it at a very early stage when it's when it's localized. And because, like you said, because the 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 symptoms, particularly in those early stages, are just so nebulous yes people don't feel they might have a maybe a little cough and they they just ignore it yeah, and, or, or not even that they might just be completely asymptomatic well that's what i was going to ask so in the early stages of lung cancer there in most cases there are no symptoms correct wow it's this silent killer yep wow so which makes this whole concept of screening for lung cancer vital exactly so yeah if you you know, every if you ask any doctor, you know how, how to screen for breast cancer, colon cancer, cervical cancer, ninety-five percent of them would probably give you the correct answer. If you ask them how to go about screening for lung cancer, uh, you'd be lucky to get a fifty percent correct answer with that, just because lung cancer screening is newer uh, compared to screening for these other other cancers. Um, so that's you know trying to get these cancers there before you develop symptoms is key. It's imperative. Well, before I ask you how you go about treating yeah. cancer, just this whole idea that in the other kinds of cancer you mentioned, like um, for breast cancer, women get mammograms every year. Yep. Wound cancer, starting at a certain age, you get them every five or 10 years yep. and you have a family history, it's even more frequently until, I and you sort of said until recently, nobody got lung cancer screen. Exactly. It's sort of the history and the turning point of creating some sort of screening procedure? Uh, I, you know, they've been looking research going back to the seventies and eighties. They've looked at doing chest X-rays, uh, checking people's sputum or spit for cancer cells, uh, checking different blood levels. And none of those things have been effective, uh, at all. Uh, so through a lot of very detailed, uh, and data-driven science and research, uh, they were able to, to, develop our current method for screening for lung cancer, which we'll get into momentarily here. Well, let's get into that. All right. Sounds good. That's it. What is the actual method? Yeah. So what we, uh, in order to qualify for lung cancer screening, so, uh, you know, smoking is the number one risk factor for lung cancer. So we, if you are ages 55, uh, at, at Ohio State University, for instance, if you're age 55 to 77, if you have a smoking history uh, that we define as a 30-pack year smoking history, meaning that you've smoked one pack a day uh, for 30 years, two packs per day for 15 years, so on and so forth. If you're currently still smoking or if you have quit within the last 15 years, if you meet those criteria, and then also if you have no symptoms, you would be eligible to be screened uh, for lung cancer. Okay. Why people with no symptoms? Wouldn't they go to the front of the line or they've already, or they already automatically qualify to get some sort of screening? So yeah, if you have, if you have symptoms and symptoms that we get most concerned about, if you're, you know, increasing shortness of breath, 
if you're coughing up blood, if you have fevers, if you have night sweats, those you shouldn't be screened for cancer at that point. You actually need to talk to your doctor immediately and get, you know, a diagnostic evaluation, which, which probably includes, you know, looking at the lungs for a, a sort of cancer, but you would, you would not be, uh, you would not want to be screened at that point. You need a, a thorough evaluation. Okay. So I think if I'm understanding correctly, like with um, colorectal cancer, that's something that can be passed on genetically. So if you have a family history of it, a family history of it, you're higher risk and you're going to get screenings at Correct. an early age. With lung cancer, that doesn't seem to be one that's genetic, but caused by smoking. So your higher risk people are smokers. Yes. And they're, as we've kind of gone forward, we are seeing more and more non-smokers, unfortunately, get lung cancer, but smoking far and away is the number one risk factor uh, for lung cancer. It's Some estimates show that it's a 30-fold increase uh, risk if you're a smoker compared to a non-smoker for getting lung cancer. Wow. So yeah. of those 230,000 new diagnoses, a huge proportion are yes. smoking. And so don't smoke. <laughs> yes. And and if you do smoke, it is, it, it's never, ever, ever too late to quit smoking. Even if you can cut down by a few cigarettes per day, that will only help you going forward in the long run. Okay. But I guess the best thing is to never start. Well, yes. It's always easier to not start. Yes. Okay. So you've identified these high risk people with the, the 55 to 77 who are, have been smoking for that extended period of time. Um, how do they find you? Is this something their primary care physicians recommend or you guys are putting the word out to primary care physicians? How do people find your clinic? So that, that's a great question. That's something we, we do kind of struggle with. You know, it, if you did a survey of 100 people out in the community, you know, asking them what sort of cancers do we screen for, I'd be curious to know how many would say that lung cancer is something you screen for. So I don't, I think reaching patients and reaching the community is very, very important. And you can do that via, you know, television, media commercials, um, you know, social media, uh, billboards, health fairs, that sort of thing. Uh, and then from a, a provider perspective, we're still struggling educating all of our providers, primary, you know, the primary care physicians, the family medicine doctors, uh, because they're, you know, they're at the front of this and they're the ones who we're depending on to get the referrals uh, for people to be screened. So I think it's a you got to hit it from both ends. You got to, you know, notify the patients that, Hey, you might be eligible for this. And it, it, you know, it literally could save your life, bring it up with your doctor or call, you know, or hotline, something like that. Uh, and you have to hit it, you know, from the other end and have the doctors be educated and have this, you know, part of their everyday, you know, checklist they go on with their patients and make it as, as commonplace as breast cancer, colon cancer screening, cervical cancer screening. We're not there yet. Yeah, it's sort of that education we're seeing now on TV with the commercials for the HPV vaccination yes. yep. cancer. We've got to get the word out about lung cancer screenings. And so walk me through a screening. You found someone who's high risk. They come into the clinic. What exactly do you do to, to screen them? Yeah, so at our, at our clinic here, uh, you, you meet with a, uh, a medical provider who's an expert in lung cancer screening. Uh, you have a quick, you know, five to 10 minute discussion uh, about the, the quote unquote risks. I'll get into that in a second and benefits of lung cancer screening. Once you agree to go forward with it, 
uh, you get a, a CAT scan, a, a low radiation, low dose CT scan of the lungs that literally takes a minute, two minutes uh, to look at your lungs. And then you go home after that. And then you get a call within 24 hours of, you know, Hey, your screen was completely normal or Hey, you have a nodule or and we need to get this further evaluated. So it's a very, very, uh, it's, it's non-invasive. It's, it's painless. It's, it's a pain-free procedure. Compare that to getting a colonoscopy, which is, can be unpleasant, obviously, but this is a, a, a very low risk, high reward uh, type screening process. So it's not too different than any other x-ray. It's just directed at your lungs. Yep. You're probably exposed to more radiation just being alive uh, and being outdoors uh, in a year than you are with the radiation for the CT scan. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Mike's going to tell us what happens when one of these screenings detects something and what happens next with that patient. A revolution in lung cancer treatment is happening at the James. We're proving lung cancer isn't solely defined by location and stage, but rather the individual molecules and genes that drive it. Simply put, there is no routine lung cancer. That's why our world-renowned specialists put their expertise towards treating one particular lung cancer, yours. At The James, we go beyond the routine to prevent, detect, treat, and cure your lung cancer. To learn more, call 1-800-293-5066. We're back with Michael Wirt, a pulmonary critical care physician and the director of the James Lung Cancer Screening Clinic. So, Mike, you just filled us in on the procedure of what happens when someone comes in and gets a screening. Walk us through, tell us about what you do when you detect something, when you see something, or tell us what you would see that would concern you on these x-rays and then what you do. Okay, so... You know, when you, when you get a CAT scan, you get really detailed pictures of the lungs. So the majority of people who get screened, we find nothing uh, concerning for a lung cancer at all. So those people, it's important to know that this is not a one and done screen. So if you have a negative initial screen, you have to get, you get screened again the year later, basically. Oh, every year. Yes, correct. This is not a one and done type situation. And is it every year until the age of 77? A exactly. Yep. Or if, they ate, or if they quit smoking and they age out of it that way. Okay. What, why do you stop at 77? If you don't have a cancer at that age, uh, you'll, it's very unlikely to develop one thereafter. And if you do, you're, you know, chances are you probably have other health conditions that will be more problematic for you than a lung cancer. Okay. So most people, it does, nothing shows up, thank Correct. goodness. But in those cases where it does, then what? Yeah. So in, in the situations where we, where you find nodules uh, in your lungs, now nodules are very, very small. These are on the, on the level of eight, eight to 10 millimeters. So very small. So if you find something like that, it's important for the patient not to get too distressed because again, the majority of these nodules turn out to be benign and non-cancerous, but you have to follow that up. And usually what you do is you get a repeat, uh, cat scan your lungs in, in three to six months. It's all based on how, what the size of the nodule is and how many there are. And then in some situations, if we find something that's, you know, particularly concerning, if you find, you know, a nodule that's greater than a centimeter or two, three centimeters, or if you find a lung mass or something like that, that requires more of an expedited or urgent uh, uh, treatment plan. How uh, how quick, when you say expedited, 
So happened. yeah, what, what we do in that situation. So if you have a, a positive or concerning screen, I usually get those patients into my pulmonary clinic within a couple of days uh, to determine the next steps. And the next steps tend to be getting something called a PET scan, uh, which looks uh, for any other concerning areas in the body, uh, getting a biopsy, uh, getting something called a bronchoscopy, uh, where you put a camera into somebody's lungs and can biopsy that way. Or in some cases, we even have people go directly to a, a, a thoracic or lung surgeon uh, to remove uh, the concerning nodule or mass that we see. Is that in the cases where the mass is pretty big? Yeah. And yes. Yeah. So it, it all depends. Uh, it, it, the most important thing is if you have a positive screen, it, it would defeat the purpose if it took somebody weeks and weeks to get to be seen by a, a pulmonologist or a surgeon. So we, we always make sure these people are seen really within a week. Okay. And the PET scan, that's over, is that the whole body? So it, it's like a whole body PET scan. What does that look like? If you, if someone has a PET scan and the cancer, lung cancer is metastasized and traveled somewhere else, what does that look like? How do you see that on the PET scan? So a, a PET scan measures uh, glucose or sugar uptake. Uh, so like your brain, for instance, everybody's brain lights up very bright orange on a PET scan because our brain's constantly chewing through glucose. Now, if you have a big lung mass, uh, or lymph nodes, uh, you know, in your abdomen, if they light up bright, that's a little more concerning that it might, whatever's going in the lung could have spread this to some other area. So we look for areas of brightness, basically. Because the brain has some bright spots, does that make it harder to detect in the brain? Yeah. If, if you're concerned for something going on in the brain, you usually have to get a, a MRI to get a better picture. So would the PET scan lead to the MRI that you... you oh, so it depends on the type, it, you know, it depends if you have cancer and then be what type of cancer you have with it. Wow. So it sounds like you and your team, you need a whole team. Like yes. You can't just be, you need to be a comprehensive cancer center and hospital where you have all these experts and specialists right there. Yeah. And that's so, and that's, I'll give a little shout out to our, so our screening clinic. So it's very you know, the, if, if, the, if the nurse practitioner or the provider has a concern about a, a patient's screening CAT scan, I'll get in, they'll get in to see me in a few days. And then my, my clinic's actually located in the same clinic as our lung cancer specialist and thoracic surgeons. So it's very, very easy for me to literally walk across the hallway uh, and get an opinion uh, for what's going on. And when you say clinic, I know everyone, physicians always say clinic. That's where you see patients. Correct. Yeah, it's, a, it's in the outpatient setting. Just some, yeah, It's like you're going to visit your doctor's office. Okay, so now we're at the, the, the stage of treatment. And we've had uh, some great other doctors on here talking about immunotherapy and how immunotherapy in, is still in its early stages, but is really proving it effective in treating um, melanoma and lung cancers. So fill us in on what's going on in treatments of lung cancer and why immunotherapy seems to work pretty sure. well. So the, importantly, the majority of people I'm seeing with a positive lung cancer screen, meaning that they found something concerning, the people who end up getting diagnosed with cancer from, from the screening clinic tend to be very, very early stage cancers. And we've actually, you know, in the last few weeks alone, uh, we've had three or four people get, uh, we call it a, a curative surgical resection. I mean, they got their cancers cut out of them 
And in a lot of cases, you don't even need further treatment. You just need to be monitored. There doesn't spread anywhere. Exactly, because the, the, the lung cancer screening clinic did exactly what it was intended for. It caught a cancer before the patient developed symptoms, and it was a early stage, had not spread anywhere. So that's, those are the success stories when we see that. Now, when we, we do unfortunately still see some people who are, have advanced stage lung cancers, meaning it's spread to the lymph nodes or other parts of the body. Uh, now, that does not mean you know, there's nothing to do for it. There are still plenty of options out there, whether it be chemotherapy or these new immunotherapy uh, treatments that we've seen. And that's why it's very important. Uh, you know, every single person's cancer is unique to them. It's not like everybody gets the exact same treatment. So when we diagnose these cancers, we are testing these cancers for all sorts of genetic and molecular mutations and, and tumor markers. And some people have, we call them favorable mutations or markers that derive huge, huge benefit from immunotherapy, like huge benefit. When you say favorable, that means they have a genetic mutation that's been identified and a treatment has been developed? Correct. Because there's there's not treatments for every genetic mutation. Correct. Yet. That's yeah. sort of a challenge. Yes. So you made me think of something interesting when you said about your clinic and how you so often um, identify people in the early stages. And I think I know the answer to this, and it always has to do with insurance and money, but why isn't everyone, is, will there be a day when everyone gets some sort of lung cancer screening test as part of your yearly or biannual something physical or something? I think we're generally trending that way. So I, I, just recently, uh, I think our guidelines are going to be changing as far as, uh, who to screen. Uh, they're still looking at smokers, but I th they're going to probably drop the age. So to go from 55 to 50, and they might even extend uh, the age from 77 to 80. But that's still, you know, that's still just getting the smoking population. We're still unfortunately seeing people who have never smoked a day in their life getting cancers. And there's no easy or right way to screen them right now. We don't have screening measures in place for everybody. But I would think at some point we'll go the way of how we screen for breast cancer and colon cancer of, of regardless of, you know, if you have a family history of colon cancer, like you said, you get screened at an earlier age. But regardless of that, you know, the second you turn 50 years old, you get screened. Uh, so maybe down the road we'll be screening everybody. These age guidelines that you've mentioned, are these national guidelines set up by some sort of um, – a medical body or is this what the James has come up with on your own? It's, it's both. It's, it's kind of a hybrid. So insurance kind of dictates right now. So I, I believe, so Medicare will pay for lung cancer screening. If you meet that, that age criteria at the 55 to 77, there's, you know, if you, if you look at the United States cancer task force, they'll give a different answer compared to family medicine, uh, uh, you know, organizations, but it universally it's, we're kind of hovering in that 55 to 77 range, but with likely some change to that coming imminently. So good. The changes is going to increase the number yes. that get screened, yep. which will increase the number of people detected early. Exactly. Give me a, a sense of why you do this. You've committed your, your professional life to this, to your patients, to your clinic, to screening and finding and saving people. What drives you to do this? You know, there's no, 
I take zero joy out of ever telling anybody they have cancer. I mean, nobody would ever get joy from that, but I do think there is a, a kind of an art to it. Um, you know, I've been doing this for, you know, eight to 10 years and it's, it, it's never an easy call or an easy in-person encounter when you have to tell somebody uh, they have cancer. But I think there's a very delicate and not necessarily a right way, but you know, there's a certain way you got to do these things. I mean, you have to tell the people, I try to be upfront with people beforehand. If I'm concerned there's a cancer, I say, Hey, I'm very concerned for cancer. We can't say you have it until we get a a biopsy or a diagnosis. And then I, you know, I, I kind of, refer to myself as the primary care doctor from their cancer diagnosis onward, Why right? You know, I walk them through the process. Uh, I, I think the, the two hardest things for lung cancer for patients to experience, one is the waiting game of when you told you, when you're told you have something concerning and that, that awful feeling of, of dread and not knowing that it's cancer, that's, that's terrible. And that's why I try to get people in as soon as possible to, in, into my clinic and to get them biopsied. And then two, once you have that diagnosis, you know, you want to attack it like that second you hear you have cancer and that can be very hard and frustrating for patients to wait, you know, even if it's just a few days or weeks. Uh, so I, I kind of act like a conduit for them to express their concerns and uh, kind of talk them through it. Well, I hadn't thought of that. I, I from talk from listening to you, I understood the importance of the quick turnaround from diagnosis to treatment to stop the spreading. Yeah. But just that mental anguish of, you know, there's something, you know, when you detect something until you really figure out what it is and get your plan in place, it's really a bit of a torment for people. Yes. And I take it now, knock on wood, many, many of your patients are just living longer and having better quality of life and you to share that with them. Yes. And if, and if I'm going to diagnose somebody with cancer, I'd much rather it be a stage one or stage two uh, that can be sometimes cured. So get yeah. screened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that is our message. Yeah. Yes. People should be educated. And if you know someone, if you have a parent or a grandparent who fits those age and smoking parameters, make them aware of that. And if someone does fit into there and wants to get connected with your clinic how do they how do they reach you one never ever hesitate bringing this up with your primary care doctor or family doctor they can always place a referral uh, to our screening clinic but you can also if if you go to your computer and google you know Ohio State James lung cancer screening clinic there's a number you can call uh 614-293-5066 or uh 800-293-5066 and that you'll get put in touch with a, uh, a screening uh, kind of coordinator uh, and they'll kind of determine over the phone uh, whether you're a, a candidate to get lung cancer screening. So it's a, again, it's a zero risk, high reward. A worst case scenario, they say you're, you're not a candidate for it because you don't meet criteria. There's worse things in the world than to be told you're not, you don't quite need to be screened yet for it. Yeah, and the, the whole peace of mind aspect for people who are either still smoking or quit five or 10 years ago, just to have that peace of mind of getting the screening yep. and being told you don't have anything wrong yes. it can really make a difference. Yep. It's, it's, they estimate that we're actually only screening 3% uh, of eligible patients, uh, which is quite pathetic, honestly. So I think it's, it's on the medical community and on patients to you know, be educated and, and to get screened. It could literally save your life.
So that 3% is nationally, right? Yes, yes. So here in central Ohio, because of the work you and your team does, it's probably higher than 3 Yes. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, thanks for filling us in on all the great work you, you and your team are doing at the clinic. Yeah. My pleasure, Steve. Thanks for talking to me, and I, I enjoyed it. This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solov Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.